Welcome to the Aspiring High Performers podcast, the show where we embrace both the challenges and the beauty of our high performance journeys and aspirations. I am your host, Sanna Koyanen, a former professional athlete from Finland who is now guiding others to excel through mental performance coaching and breathwork in Denver, Colorado. And together, we are on a mission to achieve greatness without compromising our well-being or happiness anymore. So join me as we connect with experts, thought leaders, and inspiring individuals from the worlds of sports and high performance. We will uncover the stories, tools, and insights needed to craft and improve our own high performance lifestyles. So get ready, because this journey promises to be both enlightening and enjoyable. Hello and welcome back and muy in Finnish. So this time my guest is Jason Amoroso. He is the owner of Revelation Breathwork, who has 15 years of experience as a professional coach, also at the highest level. So this episode won't disappoint, I can promise that. I found him when I was looking for virtual breathwork opportunities during COVID, and I joined some of their classes. I really loved them. And then later on, I also found out that he had been working years and years in the professional sports with LA Dodgers and from 2015 to 2022 Jason was also serving as the director of professional development for the San Diego Padres so in this role he was responsible for fostering mental toughness peak performance personal development and leadership among over 250 players and 50 plus staff members so he's the perfect guest for my podcast because the fun part also is that he was doing breath work with these top level athletes plus also navy seals as you can then later on learn from the podcast episode but a couple things about this one number one even if you might not know him by name he has so many insights that we can learn from so i highly recommend tuning in with an open mind i'm pretty sure you will get something valuable out of this one and then two, I still meet people who question breathwork and think that it's a little bit too woo-woo for them. But if top-level athletes and Navy SEALs are utilizing breathwork in their line of work, I really hope that this episode can challenge some of those thoughts around breathwork and show the importance and impact that it can have. And then overall, I think you're just going to get some practical ideas and insights and thoughts also about our sole purpose that he's talking about. And also we are talking where the moments of fear, intense stress and pressure actually come from and then what the keys are for those to solve them. And then lastly, also, we have to talk about breathwork a little bit and how it can be the vehicle for high performance. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this one and let me know if you have any further questions. How did you like the episode? And this was also recorded on Instagram one year ago. So the timing about holidays was pretty perfect as well. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you? Great to see you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So then I want to learn how did you get there? Because, yeah, like you said, like professional sports is kind of the dream, um, but it takes the commitment. So, like, how were, how was your story? Like, when you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to always work in the professional sports? Did you do sports yourself? Yeah. How were you as a kid? You want the whole story. All right. I'll, 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 try yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll say what I think is relevant to serve your community what I think is important, and then you can ask questions to fill in the gaps. So the long and short was, I think, one of the things, I was always, my parents, my dad was uh, big into sports. He was a college athlete, played baseball, and baseball here in the States is very much like a father-son bonding thing. So I think I grew up playing baseball with him, and it was a way that we connected, and I loved it, and I was good at it. And uh, and then I played basketball as I got older, and that, I really love that sport poetry in motion for me. Um, and then my mom was more like arts. Like I was a you know professional singer in second grade. We got paid to sing in church choir. It was pretty awesome. Did a lot of cool things. My mom was like the arts. My dad was the sports. So I was always, you know, wanted to be a professional athlete, but major league baseball player growing up. Yeah, you know, so many kids dreams. And then, uh, you know, I got what it, when you're younger, the field is smaller. And then when right around puberty, the field gets to be the big field with, you know, that they play in the major league. The the, the bases are 90 feet instead of 50 feet. And the the mound is a little further. So 
uh, I got psyched out as a young kid when the field got bigger. Like I'm my comp, I was like an all star when I was like ten or eleven and twelve, and then when the field got bigger, I didn't didn't seem to. So that was like at 13, 14 years old. So baseball was definitely a, a vehicle for me to move through like not having confidence, struggling mentally, overthinking. Mm-hmm. And ironically, then I'm working professional baseball as a mental toughness and mental skills coach. But that was my dream to be a major league baseball player. When I realized I was not talented enough to get there, no matter how much I practiced and tried. Uh, then I saw Jerry Maguire, the movie with Tom, to, with um, what I had, Tom Cruise. And I was inspired then. Let me work in the business of baseball. So I'm going to be a sports agent. And then I saw what that industry was like. It's very cutthroat. It's not very, uh, it's not very caring and loving. Not that mm-hmm. you can't have both, but so I wanted to get into the business side and then I decided I'll be a GM. I'll be a, the architect of a team and I'll get to help build the team and work with different pieces and put the pieces together. And I really love that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, then I ended up going to uh, law school after undergraduate. So I graduated, I moved out to California to go to law school, not because I want to be a lawyer. I just didn't want to get a job. Total honesty. My <laughs> family. And I knew having a law degree would be a good training. I'm still paying off the debt, but that's another thing. And um, it did open doors for me. While I was in law school, I started interning at the LA Dodgers. Uh, LA Dodgers, one of the biggest, most you know, well-known franchises in sports. And for anyone who wants to work in sports, I've gotten every job, not just in sports, every job I've ever had has been through a relationship. So one of my best friends from college was working at the Dodgers in LA when I moved out there. And so in my first summer in law school, when all my law school buddies and classmates are going to work for law firms, making like 10 grand for the summer, I was able to get an internship at the Dodgers working in like the VIP seating area. So it wasn't even in baseball, wasn't even in sport, uh, wasn't even in like mental skills or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I did that making 15 bucks an hour. But then the next summer I worked in PR and then the next summer I got into baseball operations and I was on that track to be the GM. And then mm-hmm. my wife pregnant with our first kid. And I looked around in sports and I, at least at that time at the Dodgers, there was really no one who had a healthy family life or even a healthy relationship. And... They were traveling all the time. And my parents got divorced when I was young. And I kind of always made a commitment, like I would do anything to not do, not get divorced. You know, as a young person, that's how you think. And so I gave up my dream of being that next young hotshot GM for a family. And I was Mm -hmm. lucky at that point to transition into being a lawyer for the Dodgers. So timing is always divine. When we get clear in our heart, the timing works out. So at that Mm -hmm. time, the number two lawyer was leaving and it opened up a spot for me. And so that's kind of how I transitioned into the law. And at the same time, uh, I started, uh, you know, moving from New York, which is very traditional to California, which is very out there and had a lot of things to offer. I kind of opened up to the world of spirituality and outside of traditional Catholic, you know, New York mindset. And, uh, and I started opening up to new things and learning about new different spiritual practices and traditions and things of that nature. And at that time where I made the transition to be a lawyer, I was also started my master's in spiritual psychology at the University of Santa Monica. And that really is not about religion at all. It's the mm-hmm. study of, because psyche means soul. It's the study of the soul. And it answers three primary questions, spiritual psychology. I know I'm giving you a long answer to your question. <laughs> well, this is perfect. Keep going. <laughs> who, who am I? Why am I here? And how can I make a meaningful contribution to the world? Being authentic. So I did two years of studying that while I was taking studying to take the bar, which is the test to be a licensed attorney, which I never took because I didn't wasn't planning on being a licensed attorney. And while we had one young child and my wife, I think either was pregnant or had, we just had the second one. So it was an intense time of all these different Mm -hmm. things as life has it. It was all serving me in some way. And so when I was in my master's in spiritual psychology, doing this deep inner work for myself about purpose and meaning and who am I, all of these people that worked at the Dodgers who were unhappy working in sports, there's a lot of people who get into it thinking it's going to be one thing and then they get there. And this was more on like the business side, the marketing, the sales, not the baseball side. They went into my office and just like 
they would just share because I learned how to hold space. I learned how to just listen and hear them from their heart and see their soul and what they were wanting and who they wanted to be and how this this job that they chose because it might have seemed a certain way, but was limiting their soul expression. And they were probably in that job because of expectations of what they thought it would be or that, you know, somebody was in sports, you'll feel good about yourself and people like it. And oh, you work in sports, but it wasn't nourishing their soul. So people would come into my office when I was a lawyer and talk about their life. And so that's where I started getting coach training and helping them really go within and see what was true for them and how they could be aligned, whether it's in sports or outside of sports with who they are. All the while being like, okay, I'm, I'm out of baseball in terms of the baseball side of it, mental skills wasn't even in my awareness. Mm-hmm. And then I left, I quit. It was just, I couldn't, being a lawyer was like soul crushing for me, sitting in a, in an office, trying to write up sponsorship contracts of where the Coca-Cola sign needs to go in the outfield was not my life's purpose. So yeah. I was 20, 25, 26 at the time, a dream job for so many people. And again, I gave it up and I just quit. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I wasn't going to do that. And I floated around and long story short, I was out of baseball for about 10 years. And then the same friend who was at the Dodgers when I first got there became the general manager of the San Diego Padres. His name's AJ Preller. Awesome, human, amazing, heart-centered, awesome, brilliant mind too. And uh, this is 10 years later. And they didn't really have a developed mental skills program in 2015. And so, you know, we we stayed friends. Obviously, we're we're very, very close. And he knew what I was doing in the world of coaching and definitely a different approach to, you know, mental skills. You think you get a degree in psychology at a college, then you maybe get a master's, you work maybe in your college department of sports psychology, and you kind of follow that traditional path. And AJ is far from traditional. So he brings in all different kinds of people to the Padres that uh, are not traditional to bring in different viewpoints, different thoughts. So he knew my background and he knew I was I was an athlete, too. We played a lot. We competed a lot together on the basketball court. So he kind of saw that side of me, too. And he said, come in for a couple of days and just see what you see and let me know what you see. And uh, I, I had already been working with another gentleman doing character coaching for sports teams at that point. And when I went into the Padres, just to kind of consult and say, here's what I see two days at the end of the two days, he said, I want you to come and work for me. I'm going to give you a two year contract. And I wasn't expecting it. And I said, all right, I mean, this is such an amazing opportunity to you know, work and learn for my friend and be a part of a big organization doing something, building something non-traditional. Like, so I, I what one of the things I learned as I moved and started then to grow into what is mental skills and sports psychology, it was really the same thing that I've been studying in spiritual psychology, just from I felt spiritual psychology was like, this is about you as a person. This is about you as a as like who who do you want to be in your sport? How do you want to show up? How can your sport and your performance be not driven from fear or driven from insecurity or driven from trying to prove yourself or get validation from your parents? So I'm good enough. I performed and all the worldly stuff. But like, how can you use sport and showing up and taking risks and failing as an expression of your soul and your heart and what you're capable of, not from a fearful place, but from a loving place? That to me is why I love sport. It pushes us beyond our self-limitating beliefs and who we think we are into what we can become. So that's the long and short of it, how I got into sports. It's a combination of a lot of things. Um, And then it was seven years I've been with the Padres and I just completed my tenure there. And now I'm moving full-time into uh, Revelation Breath work and the coaching work that I do, the men's work that I do, the soul work that I do full-time. I'd always been doing that. I could never give that up. But working for a team is a full-time, it takes up your whole life. And that's not my life's work either. So, and it was the right move for me and my family as hard as it was to give it up, especially the Padres are amazing now. They almost got to the World Series. We're getting even better. It's like all my dreams, this is the other thing too. It's like all my dreams that I thought it was going to be like now are kind of coming true for the team. And it's been a process of like letting go and surrendering for me too. Like, okay, well, maybe I don't get a World Series. I mean, that was always a big goal and it was going to mean something. And I've been using it as well to kind of let go and surrender and just trust my own path and trust my heart. So that's it. 
<laughs> in a nutshell, yes. Holy cow. Even though I, I, I was told that I, I should not be using the holy cow um, <laughs> words anymore because nobody did it, but whatever. I love it. <laughs> okay, we cut out for a second. Oh my God, I have so many questions though. Um, first one that came to my mind was that moment when you realized that, okay, I don't have it have what it takes to become a professional baseball player how did you overcome that like fear of i'm not gonna be enough anywhere if i'm not gonna be a good enough baseball player like how was that transition phase you for you personally well i think like any transition i mean you're asking me to go back to when i was 13 14 where i probably did not have the awareness that i definitely did have the awareness and the maturity i have now but, you know, okay, it was that young. I, I thought it was kind of like more closer to like 16, 17. Maybe it was either way. It was 30 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> but it, it's any transition. It's any it's any transition where it feels like a death on some level. It's like a it's an identity that we've held that has served us in some way. Like growing up, I was the people pleaser. That I that mm -hmm. would kind of people please and be a chameleon and like be able to adapt and help others like feel happy and safe around me was a skill. Like all of our coping mechanisms that we kind of adopt probably unconsciously to survive at any time served us for a time. They help us, you know, survive in the environment that we think we need, you know, that we need. But then as we move through that and we, and that, that coping mechanism no longer serves us. So it feels like a death to give that up. It felt like a death to give up a dream that maybe would get, and I, I'm just kind of making this up, like my father's approval. Like if I make it to the major leagues, then I'm a, that means I'm worthy. And that means my dad's going to love me more. That means other people are going to love me more. Look, if you get there, if you're elite, that's amazing. That's a symbol that you did it right or you're worthy. And that's all hogwash. But to give that up and to surrender that dream up is is a death. And an acceptance uh, of a transition of there's something different, there's something more, and that's it in any phase of life. Yeah, and that one of the reasons I got when I was studying for my master's in spiritual psychology and leaning into coaching as a profession, you know, I was asking myself, who do I want to work with as a coach, and not as a sport coach like in technique, but as a as a soul, I would call it as a soul coach, like. Who am I? Why am I here? How can I make a more meaningful contribution? And I wanted to stay in sports because I identified as an athlete, but I didn't. It was funny at the time. I didn't want to be a sports site coach because there's already a lot of those people that athletes already have help on the field. I wanted to help them with their sphere, with their soul. So I chose to work with athletes as they were transitioning out of being a professional athlete and life after the game. Who am I? How can I find purpose? My whole life since I was little was sport and I got validation that way. I got, you know, all of, and now all of a sudden I'm not a professional. No one recognizes me in the store anymore. The checks aren't coming in. You probably have different friends all of a sudden. Maybe all of a sudden you're a parent. Now you got to deal with your kids that you didn't have to deal with when you were traveling and living the professional. It's like, it's a change of identity. And that's where I wanted to play with people and especially, you know, athletes. And then ironically, I got into the performance side of it, but from this soul holistic perspective, and it's all about letting go of our identities and really going within and uncovering who we are, what's meaningful to us and looking at all the places that we're afraid, all the places that we're yeah. in, places we try to put up a personality or be seen a certain way and love ourselves through the dissolution of those walls that we put up so that our authentic self can shine through. And that, if you're an athlete, if you can do that level of inner work, there's less fear. And when you're, when there's less fear, like in your consciousness, failing in the moment doesn't feel as life or death. It's still important to you because you want to do well, but it doesn't feel life or death. It doesn't feel like your value as a human is on the line when you have less fear in your being. And that's the kind of work that I want to do with people. So then you show up free and you show up excited versus fearful. Yeah, that is so golden. I love that we're having that. Uh, so now we were on in this topic. How, would you mind sharing a little bit like how does person start that work with themselves? 
That's a great question. Um, I think, so I'm going to get a little out there. I think our soul is running the show. I think our soul has a plan when we come into this body. I think we choose this body. I think we choose our family. I think we choose all the things. It's like soul, con you sign a contract as an athlete. I think we have soul contracts. And I think our soul is really running our life. We think we're running our life. We try and control everything. But really, I don't think that's the case. I think our soul sets us up. And so how does an athlete get to that point? I think somewhere deep inside, there is a longing to be free. There is a longing to be in our heart. There is a longing to be joyful. There's a longing just to, to be at peace and to be who you are and express yourself. But then the you know, society and the world and all these things outside, there's a strong pressure to conform and to fit in to what, whatever, to fit in. And so to get to that level of inner work, I think it starts with a little spark in your heart. And there's a little, there's a want to, a desire to maybe like have a different experience. There's got to be a different way inside. You may not even be, realize it. And then once that spark is lit, the universe, but I think it's your soul, is going to start to bring you different experiences. You might see someone, you might be watching a sports game where you just get so inspired by an athlete who's playing free. My son and I love to watch the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry because he plays with joy. They play free. So you might see that and get inspired a little more. And then you might hear, you know, somebody might be talking in, in the grocery store about Eckhart Tolle and you're like, huh, Eckhart Tolle, an interesting name. And then it pops up three, four, five more times or you hear the same book or you hear a podcast about this. And then you're like, maybe I should pay attention to that. Let me lean into that. So it's like, your soul, the universe, God, whatever word you want to use for it is dropping you little breadcrumbs. And so it's a, it's a, it's a process of just kind of listening and, and leaning into things and opening your mind a little bit. And once you start to do that, I think there, there's this momentum of the soul that is just unstoppable and everyone has their own pace. When we feel scared, we want to mm -hmm. load it, want to constrict our heart. And maybe we kind of stop the journey for a little bit. But then eventually we open up a little more and we're led to more things. Maybe somebody stumbles on this podcast, on this, you know, on this interview, mm -hmm. not thinking they were going to hear anything about spirit, soul. No. All of a sudden, this might be their little breadcrumb. I, I, I like Eckhart Tolle. I've read one of his books. I'm not a huge Eckhart Tolle like fanatic. But just the fact that that name popped up, somebody might watch this and be like, huh, I've heard about him through him. Let me go check yeah. that out. And I don't know, that's how spirit works. You know, God works in mysterious ways. When we try and manage the mystery of life, that's where we suffer. When we try and say from our brain, this is the direction I need to go, or this more of like, this is how it needs to happen. That's when we suffer. You can be in your heart. I want to be a pro athlete. I want to do this. I want to bring this into manifestation. But when your brain starts to dictate how it has to happen, when it needs to happen, the timing of it, that's when we suffer because the miracle is so much greater than our limited mind can dictate. We're so limited in our, as powerful as, you know, as smart as we can be, as powerful as our body is, like we're, we are so limited when we get out of the way and we get into our heart, we're unlimited. So how does somebody start on that journey? I think the soul is kind of running the show and little breadcrumbs. Just pay attention to things. Pay attention to the people that inspire you, why they inspire you. What are they doing? Study some of those people. Yeah. And funny that you mentioned Eckhart Tolle because that was the book that I, um, like I read it once. And now when I came from Denver to Finland, that was the book that I grabbed from the shelf that I'm going to read it now during this holiday again. So um Funny, that was the book that I booked out. It, it's all perfect. If we just, there's no coincidences. It's all synchronicity. It's all part of this beautiful tapestry. If we're willing to slow down, get out of our head and our thinking, and just drop into our feeling, our heart. That's why, like, mental toughness is not about thinking more. It's about mm -hmm. dropping into the wisdom of your body and your heart that's already there. You don't have to go out and get anything. It's already here. It takes courage to slow down. It takes courage, mm -hmm. takes courage to feel. But so much of the messaging out there is, you know, think and grind. And effort is good. I love effort. It's like the kind of effort, though. Effort from the heart, in a way, is like effortless. It's that work you love to do no matter what. Effort from the brain is you're trying to like prove or make something happen versus allowing it. 
And so there's a difference there. And so, the, so much of the messaging out there is just all head thinking, toughness. To me, an open heart is the strongest thing there is. That's the toughest thing there is to slow down, to be in your heart and just to feel and be, and then act from that place. And that's how you have unstoppable energy and momentum. Yeah, I agree. And I think I loved so much that you said about those like silent moments like how those are actually the ones where everything is revealed to you if you allow it. But there's so much fear in so many of us just like taking that moment to be with that, within ourselves or like within, turn within and then just be with ourselves because it's just like, oh my God, now I'm not doing the thing that I was supposed to do. And I know so many people who are also like wanting me to ask this question, what do I do when I feel that fear? Like, let's say like I'm trying to meditate, but it's just not happening because I am just freaking out that I am not doing something. That's right. How do I get over that actual like panic that my mind creates for myself in that moment? So the first thing is to understand, take a step back and understand that we've been conditioned to, to be in a doing orientation to life. What can I do? What's the next step? What do I need to do to move through this? If only I knew what to do, I'll follow the steps. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And that is still in this paradigm that keeps us stuck. If you're in meditation and you're like, oh, I can't do, what do I need to do? I'm stuck. I'm a bit, just accept that. Just be like, huh, there's a part, there's a part, observe it and be like, there's a part of me that's really frustrated with this right now. Can I just feel that? Can I just yield to the frustration? Can I yield to the fear? Can I yield to this feeling that I'm not doing it right? Why am I not getting it? Well, let me feel that fully. Ener emotion is energy in motion. It wants to flow just like water needs to flow. Stagnant water gets toxic. You don't want to drink it. Energy, emotion that gets stuck in the body, it creates it's going to express somehow. It's going to create disease or discomfort when we strength is letting your emotions flow, not like losing yourself in the emotion, which a lot of people are afraid to do. Well, if I feel this emotion, I'm going to get lost in it. And then I'm going to be this, you know, crying puddle victim. No, 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 no. It's allowing that feeling to move through you. It's like the storm cloud. Let the rain come down. And then after the storm, there's clarity. There's clear. There's clear skies. It's the same thing. Let yourself be frustrated and feel it fully because where else in your life are you like, why am I not doing this right? Why am I not getting it? Uh, uh, and you're just like, uh, in other parts of your life and you're just bringing that into the meditation. So just give yourself permission to feel it and be there and be frustrated and be stuck. Imagine that. Imagine if you just let, if you're like, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes and then you're like, oh, that 10 minutes was a waste. I didn't feel anything. <laughs> What if the whole point for that meditation se session was to just be in frustration and to not get anything from it? Because we're like, I got to get something from it. Maybe that's the whole point to be okay with not getting anything from it. Like that's wisdom. That's grace. That's giving yourself some grace versus always having to get something from something. Yeah, I love it. And also the expectation of meditation was something that I would just struggle with at some point when I was an athlete, that I had the to-do list of like all these mindful activities, what I wanted to be doing. But then also like when I sat down to meditate, it was like I had an expectation what the meditation should be for me. But then at the end of it or like in the middle of it, I was still comparing my present take to something that I wanted it to become. And I wasn't actually fulfilling the purpose of like just being there with myself because it was like, well, I'm still feeling the sadness. Like this is not working. And then I didn't allow myself to actually be in it. So <laughs> that sounded very timely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got, I mean, I, we're human. We can, anyone who's listening to this can relate to all of this on some level because we're all the same. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or you're not an athlete, you're human. You're going to identify, you're going to relate to all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that too. And how did then breathwork come part of your work? So it's all always so interesting to hear because it's not like you learn breathwork in schools like we learn English or math. So like how people come to breathwork is such an interesting um, question always for me to hear or like I'm good to hear. The first part is I'm going to use the term revelation breathwork because mm -hmm. breathwork is a very general term like meditation. Oh, I'm going to meditate. Meditation is a lot of things. It could be guided meditation. It could be walking in nature. There's so many different types. It's just this big term meditation that means a lot of different things. 
breath work is the same breath because I know this because when I started sharing this technique, which I call revelation breath work with people, I'd be like, hey, have you ever done breath work before? And they'd be like, yes. And then I'd lead them through a revelation breath work session and they'd be like, holy crap, what was that? I've never done anything like that before. And I quickly learned breath work is just a big term for any kind of breathing exercise. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So how I came about revelation breath work was like, and I'm saying this with all humility, like every amazing thing that's come into my life, it was from my wife and my wife and I've been together since uh, high school and uh, she's my best friend. And I say that with, uh, again, all the love and like non cheesiness. And um, she was like, hey, it was a date night. We have four kids. We got to go on dates as a couple to stay connected. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's so easy to get into like business mode and we're both entrepreneurs working and like passing ships through the night. Date night, if you're a couple and you have kids, prioritize date night. And she was like, hey, let's do this breath work class. And I was like, uh, no, I want to go out to dinner. I don't want to do this thing. No, no, thank you. And that was for like six months. And then finally, divine timing, Every all timing is divine. Something happened inside me. I was like, all right, let's go. Maybe I was stressed and I, maybe I was tired. Who knows? I was like, all right, let's do this class. And we went to this class and I've had up until that point, I had several experiences, a handful of experiences that were like, I would call them spiritual experiences, mystical experiences, where my whole body was like on fire, elect, like, like electric, like weeping, sobbing, feeling connected to life, the divine feeling in my own heart, like just out of my human self and into this more expanded just awesome place. I'd had about a handful of those up until that time, usually at like a retreat or something else. And they seem random. Mm -hmm. And then I did this and I, and I had that same experience and I was like, holy crap, I can have this experience anytime I want with this, like with this modality, with this tool. And it, you know, that, that night I was just let so much go. I didn't even realize I was holding so much heaviness, stress. I was sobbing, you know, and we're in a dark room full of maybe 30 people and the music's blasting and I'm doing this breath technique is just like cracking my heart wide open. And at the end of it, I was like, whoa, I have to learn this and I need to bring it to the act. Cause that was when I just started working in back at the Padres in professional sports. I listen to see mental toughness is to really get into your heart, let all the heavy crap go. And so I need to learn this and bring this to the athletes and my other coaching clients. Like, I, And so that's kind of how it started. I got trained and then I developed and kind of brought my own methods. I studied from Dr. Joe Dispenza. I studied A Course in Miracles, my work in spiritual psychology, chakra healing work. And I kind of combined all that to create revelation breath work. So I didn't invent the technique. Breathing's been around as a yogic you know, technique forever. When we combine it with all these things and the music that we play, you know, we call it revelation breathwork because it was a revelation. It was a this incredible, indescribable experience. Like, how do you explain an orgasm? You can talk about an orgasm all day long, but until you experience it, it's nice to think about. But it's like mm -hmm. an body experience. You can't deny it. That's what revelation breathwork is. And that's so then I started bringing it to the athletes. And then in San Diego, the Navy SEALs are there, the Navy SEALs, U.S., you know elite forces. I befriended a Navy SEAL. I told him about Revelation Breathwork. He brought me to the Navy SEAL base. I did it with like six people, him, the head of the Navy SEALs in the West Coast, and a few other like special ops people. They had an incredible experience. And I just started offering it to these people and starting a class in LA in person. And it just kind of grew. And then the pandemic hit. We were in person a couple times a week. And I was still working, obviously, full time with the Padres. And then the pandemic hit and everyone's at home and so many people are scared. There's so much fear and unknown and grieving happening as people are dying. And it was like, I got to bring this thing online. I don't know how to Zoom and music and I don't know how it's going to work. But I just, again, you follow your heart. You follow the next step in front of you. You don't need to know the how. You just need to be connected to the desire in your heart and the, and the universe. God, your soul is going to give you the next step if you just say yes. Hey, let's take a 60-second break from this episode because if you want to do better in your sport but find it challenging to block out the distractions, maybe handle the pressure, or stay focused on what truly matters, <clears throat> the present moment, not other people's opinions, or the previous rally, or what you're going to eat later tonight. If any of that sounded like you, I've got something for you. 
I want to give you an exclusive training session that I did this fall, and you'll be learning how to silence the external noise and laser focus on what's important you and your performance. So I will be diving into the techniques that will allow you to improve your mental focus and resiliency so you can be more consistent. Because isn't that the dream? If I could just perform at a better level more consistently? Well, improving your focus is such a big part of that. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Go grab the free training through the link in the show notes, or you can also go to the website bit.ly forward slash athlete focus. So it's bit.ly forward slash athlete focus. See you there. Do it. So we got on Zoom and within like a couple of weeks, because this work is so powerful, people were sharing it left and right. And then a few, you know, influencers on Instagram experienced it. They started posting and we had like 500 people from 73 countries. We had somebody in Mongolia, the Canary Islands, every country in Europe, Africa, all over showing up to these classes to breathe. And it was life changing. Mm-hmm. It was so healing. And, uh, and that was kind of how we got. And then I was like, holy crap, I can do this online and like help people all over the world. And th- and I really want to do this work more full time. At the time, that's what I was thinking. So I started to kind of plan my exit out of professional baseball into this broader way of serving the world. And uh, that's where we're at now. So uh, it's been it's been an incredible journey and it just continues to expand because that's the nature of life is to expand and just keep saying yes. So that's where we're at. That's the short of it. Yeah. And it seems like it's going pretty well. <laughs> okay. Really, it was, yeah. If I also been, of course, like some of your classes, and I love them. Um, that was also one of those. Um, so first of all, like how my breathwork journey started was exactly kind of like that. It was just like my eyes opened, like just blew wide open. Just like holy cow, what's this? Like again, the holy cow. Like <laughs> what's going on? What? How much have I missed? Like this information that was still living inside me. Like all of these almost like traumas that I had still like stored inside me and then starting to like see like they actually connected certain pieces in my life and the pieces are now showing up in my life this way. It was such a like freeing information for me to know that there's a solution to this as well. Like now I can see more clearly like where am I and how like where my behavior and like for example this anxiety that I couldn't explain, I couldn't control it, where that was coming from. So for me it just also just gave such like awesome keys for my like just like being able to be more in my heart like you were talking about and then so then I was also doing your classes I think that was last year at some point so and I love them so first of all just like I wanted to give you feedback because I love them it was amazing to be part of the part of that group because also I felt like the community and the love that you were able to like create in that virtual environment which was something that was definitely missing at some point I was like I'm so tired of zoom as well it's like there's no connection ever but in that um zoom I did feel connected more connected to these people who were there and sharing their experiences so first of all thank you um and then I also wondered the question about like the Navy SEALs, for example, they probably were a little bit. Oh, yeah. Do you want to add something? <laughs> Sorry. Can I comment before we go over that question? Yeah. So, a couple of things you shared that I want to talk that I want to say. And one is yes, the, you know, the Zoom, there's a lot of Zoom overload. And the, the, the blessing about this being virtual and Zoom is that there's, you know, being in LA, there's lots of offerings where you can go to breath work, sound bath, you know, you can do all these alternative things and find your community. There's a lot of places in the world that don't have that. There are people that are like, holy, I don't have anyone in my life, not my family, not my spouse, not the community I'm in, where I can be me, where I can explore and talk about and use this language of love and like have a safe space. Everybody's judgmental. Everyone's giving advice. And this is just our our classes are just a space where you can come and just breathe and be and let go of all the crap. That's that simple. Mm-hmm. And so people, it's an intention. It's an energy. 
let me be the first to say, I don't worship the breath as a, it's just a tool. It's a modality. Only love heals. It's the love that people feel. You can do dancing, you can do art, you can do anything. And if there's love, that's what brings the healing. It's not the technique. There's lots of techniques. There's all different kinds of modes. Only love heals. So when we have an intentional space of love where someone can come and just be and let whatever they've been carrying go, that's how they feel that love. And some people love Zoom because they feel too vulnerable in person with other people. You know, we do a primal screaming class. So people don't want to be next to somebody at a primal scream. You know, and when you go somewhere in person, you have to then get up at the end and drive home. Some people like the comfort of their own bed or floor where they can be and stay as long as they need to and not have to get up and go somewhere. So there's a lot of advantages that some people love to Zoom that aren't in person. In person's awesome too. It's just understanding that there's differences and they're all good. And it's really the love that mm -hmm. the other thing that I wanted to share real quick was when you said anxiety and so many people use this word now about anxiety. Oh, my anxiety is this, or they talk about it. Like it's this thing, this separate entity, my anxiety, anxiety is other. Let's keep it super real and super simple. Anxiety is just another word for fear. It's just fear. That's all it is. Fear and fear is the absence of love. And so when we are and it take, and I'm the first one, it takes so much courage to open our heart. When we're afraid, it takes so much courage to open our heart and feel and, and, and just feel that feeling of fear that feels dangerous and risky and that, oh my God. So the anxiety is just fear. That's why revelation breath work, the breath technique gets us out of our head and our thinking, all fears in your thinking. All, when you're in your heart, you are not afraid ever. No one can deny that truth. Anyone who watches this knows that's true. Mm -hmm. So this is a practice of getting out of your head and into your heart. And in your heart, there's only love. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no worry. There's no doubt. There is just love and truth and knowing and expansiveness and safety. So the we live in a world that rewards and um, reinforces being in your head, strategizing, thinking, making, efforting. When we drop into our heart, it goes against what the world is asking us to do. And then we're guided from the, the knowing of our heart, which never leads us astray and always will keep us safe and always will put us in positions where we are going to only expand into love. And sometimes that's uncomfortable because we get faced with the things we're afraid of. We get faith when we get triggered, like, I don't want to get triggered. That's the best thing. Get triggered. <laughs> Trigger. The trigger is just revealing to you where you're withholding love from yourself. It's not about the other person. That person is just playing a role for you. It doesn't matter who it is. Be your parent, it could be your spouse, it could be your best friend, it could be your enemy. They're just playing a role for you. When you get triggered, it's showing you inside where you are withholding love from yourself. Get triggered and then use it. And that's the thing. There's people don't have communities around them that come from this perspective of spiritual psychology. So when we're on our own and we get triggered, it's very hard. But when we have a group of people around like, yeah, you got triggered, use this. What's this showing to you? And we're all rising together. That's a, that's a community I want to be a part of. That's why I created it, because I want to benefit from it too. So yeah. there you go. Now you can ask your question about the Navy SEALs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of wanted to continue from that because I love the distinction between like breath is just a tool for you to get to your heart and love is the thing that actually heals you because it exactly was like that for me as well. Like it's not that the actual breathing helped, like obviously like it helped, but it wasn't, it was more like understanding when I was in that like free space that I am enough and like the things that I've I've done, for example, don't make me a failure. And there was certainly like this like more love towards everything that has happened. Also towards the people that I thought like I was blaming them for my failure as well. And understanding like it, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't like nobody's fault per se what happened, for example. It was just like lack of love. And then lack of love created exactly the fearful place for me to like try. To, and then I started my business, you know, so this kind of like the time where I turned from professional athlete into an entrepreneur and then carried all of the baggage from professional sports. And now just like applied that into my business life for in the beginning, like the first year. And I'm still working on for like for sure some of the things, but knowing that there is this more like a euphoria inside me that I can get to, it's 
so free and it happens through breath. Like that has been just like the most consistent way for me to access that place. Because I think sometimes meditation can get, get me there like here and there, but it kind of requires a lot of meditation and a lot of like mm. peacefulness around me in some ways that I can drop in as quick. But with breathing, it kind of just shuts my brain off um, in a different way. So definitely agree with what you said about there, about the love and breathing and breathing being the tool to get there. Well, yeah, the, the root of the word breath is spirit. And it's, it's the simplest thing that we do. And here's another thing that's going to sound out there. But, you know, the, the breath is obviously something we're doing while we're in this body all the time, inhaling, exhaling. One of the things that we teach is when we're inhaling, we are receiving love. We're receiving grace. We're receiving peace. And when we're exhaling, we're expanding and we're expressing it out. Gratitude, love, peace. So we're in this constant flow always as long as we're in a body, receiving and expressing. And this is crazy. There's an awesome book that I love. It's called Conversations with Jerry and Other People I Thought Were Dead by Irene Kendig, who's also a graduate of the University of Santa Monica, where we got our master's in spiritual psychology together. And she has conversations with her friend Jerry, who's dead, and these other people through a, through a channel. Kind of sounds crazy. In the very first page, she's like, hey, Jerry, what was it like when you left your body? And he's like, the, the biggest shock is I was still breathing. And he's like, the breath is really this symbol. It's this experience of receiving from life and expanding into life. So a lot of people are like, oh, you're alive. You're breathing. No, you're always alive. You are a soul. Mm -hmm. you, never, you might leave the body. You are always going to be alive. And the breath is just this action of receiving and expressing. That is the nature of life to receive and expand and continue to create. So a lot of people, you know, I just want to give a different perspective on breath and breathing. And you said a bunch of other things that really sparked some other things that, that I want to share about in our training. So we train people how to facilitate revelation breath work. And really it is this, this gift of holding space. You're not doing a lot Okay, somebody else is breathing, like they're not saying the right thing. There's not a lot of technique. It's about holding the space of love and mm -hmm. healing. You know, that's another term. He, I'm a healer. It has a lot of connotation to it. From our perspective, healing is loving. Anyone can be a healer because anyone can love because everyone is love. So I don't care if you're a cook, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're an accountant, if you're a banker, if you're a police officer, whatever job you do, if you do it from a place of love, you bring healing to your world, right? We're not just bodies. So we think, oh, I got to go to a healer to fix my body or feel better. Everyone is a healer when we're in our heart. So that's what we teach in our training. Healing is loving and loving yourself. And I think that's a huge distinction because sometimes we put people on a pedestal or, oh, they're a healer. I'm not, or they can do this. I'm not. You can do all of it when you're in your heart. You might have different gifts. You might have, you might hear things or see things or touch things. Like we all, when we open to these gifts, we all have them in different ways. So I just want to share that with people because I think it's an important mm -hmm. distinction to not have this level of separation. And then other thing, one other thing, sorry. Another thing you said about like breath. Yes, the breath, but the, the cool thing is, again, it's the space that's created and it's the breather's intention that really does the work. You know why I know that mm -hmm. who have come to class and they, they are pregnant women and pregnant women are not allowed to do the active breathing of revelation breath work, which for reasons we won't get into, but they've come to class and just laid down and breathe normally and they've had to their surprise, the same experiences that they've had when they've been doing the active breath when they weren't pregnant. Wow. And my gosh, so it's not the breath technique again, it's the intention, it's the love, and it's their intention to open that, that, you know, create the experience. So we get so caught up on like technique and steps and the eight steps to being a successful entrepreneur, the five techniques you need to know to do this. That's all <laughs> the written on the head. It really is the heart and the intention that support and kind of, you know, is running the show here. We just think we have control and we read. Amazing. And so now when we were talking about love and healing, was that something that you also introduced to like, for example, these professional athletes or the Navy SEALs? I use different language with them. You know, I use mm -hmm. different depending on who I'm speaking to in a way that they're going to hear and connect with. So 
for athletes when they're like, well, what is this breath work? I say, well, what gets in the way of you performing and being your best, right? Mm -hmm. Fear of failure, what other people are going to think, judging yourself, overthinking, you know, all of the things that anyone who's a human gets in the way of. It's like, well, what if you were able to move into a different state where you felt more confident, more in yourself, less afraid, more in the moment? Is that something that would help you? And, and when you do get, you, when you are judging yourself, when you do get down on yourself, you can kind of feel like yourself again. Would that be helpful? And of course they're like, heck yeah, what do I need to do to sign up for that? All right, let's do this breathing and see what happens. That's kind of how I talk to them about. It's like coming back into your center, getting out of your overthinking and the pressure and the stress and just coming back to who you are. You know, when we're little kids playing, having fun in a sport, it's fun. All of a sudden you tie money and contracts and expectations and your whole dreams and your whole value as a human's at stake every time and everyone's watching like, not fun at all. Let's get back to the joy of playing, the joy of just playing free like a kid. And then all of a sudden it's fun again. So those are the, I, I meet people where they're at and I've had this experience of being the athlete and, know, and kind of having these experiences, but I can connect with athletes on that level. I'm not a pro athlete, but I definitely am an athlete. I, I, I'm a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And I also wonder if you did, like, how was coaches approach for breath work? Were they kind of like, almost like advertising, like, hey, athletes, you should be definitely trying this out. Or was it something like you needed to almost like overrule the coach and just go straight to the athletes? What was that dynamic like? So like anything else, you know, baseball is a is a very diverse sport with a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures, mm -hmm. international game. Uh, even within the United States, there's different cultures and beliefs and just everything. So and, and it's a very traditional sport been around for a long time. So it's slow for change. So um, some, like anything, some were more open than others. Fortunately, we had a leadership group that is open to trying new things. And mm -hmm. I had good relationships with them. So they trusted me on level to bring this. And, you know, they, tr they trusted me that I knew what I was doing and, and could connect with these guys and share this with them. So some coaches were open and they would get tremendous benefit and others, they wouldn't even come. And like anything else, when you have the coaches participating in these things and and leaning into, you know, mental skills and leadership and personal growth and understanding yourself, when you have a coaching staff that's doing that as well, and for the most part we did, it really helps the players buy in. When you have coaches who are closed-minded, this is how it is, I don't want to grow, that's weird, then the players are going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, and they're going to kind of follow suit to that. So our staff was very open. We we had a lot of uh, coaches who were very supportive, who bought it, you know, who bought in because, and then they, they were willing to try it. Once you try it, it's an experience unlike anything else you've had in your life. And so I remember the first time we had one of these coaches in, like he was, and he was one of our hot top coaches. He was bawling in this room. You know, the lights are down, everyone's breathing. And he was just sobbing like a baby and, you know, anyone could hear it, but and he was our strongest coach, both physically, also emotionally, his maturity, his wisdom. So when you're open like that, it just blows you even more open. And your power, that's the thing for men. Your power is found in your heart, not in your muscle, mm -hmm. mental, whatever. It's in your open heart. When I'm not afraid because I'm in my heart, I'm unstoppable. I'm, I'm not afraid. So it doesn't matter what happens. That's mental toughness. Um, and so, yeah, coaches had all kinds of experiences in a beautiful way. And some didn't like it, and that's okay. Not everyone's going to resonate with every modality. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So what's your opinion now about high performance? Because it's, you know, like, it is the one that, like, also kind of makes us sick so much because we are in this achievement game, and we are not getting enough of it ever. So yeah. what's your opinion about that? Well, I, I go to, um, I love studying the great. So when I look at the high performers, the ones that like sustain the one, one of the things they have in common, you know, commitment and drive and like, the, I would say commitment is, is one and love is another. Um, again, go back to Steph Curry. Steph Curry is so committed to being the best that he can be and his love for the game is incredible to me that's high performance his love is greater than his fear mm. uh, 
Tom Brady's another. Again, I, I don't know about these people's personal lives, or, but what they seem, they have a love for the game and a commitment to being great. There's lots of the greatest have that. Michael Jordan, you know, there's a lot of people about his personality, but his love for the game, his commitment to the game. So to me, high performance is when you're in your heart and you're playing from love, it's greater than fear. You might still be afraid. We're human. We Every single person experiences fear. But do you let that consume you? Do you let that close you down? Do you let that, you know, bitter your heart? Or do you stand with an open heart in the face of fear and saying, I'm going to show up again. I'm going to show up again. I'm going to show up again. People look at like the greats, like a Tom Brady. They're like, oh, this guy's a legend. This guy's cemented his place in history. I'm sure he's a human being. He still feels fear. He still feels insecurity. Maybe it's not on the football field. Maybe it's on other areas, but he's still human. Mm-hmm. Developing the heart is, to me, the key to high performance. If you're not in fear, then you're free. That's high performance. And of course, you got to put in the work. Like I'm not, you know, you're not. You might get to the highest level on on talent, and we've definitely had, you know, in pro sports, I've seen a lot of players get there on talent. But if they're not developing their maturity and their character and and getting in touch with who they are, they don't last or they can't sustain the high performance. I've seen it firsthand and then they're out of the game very quickly. So if you want to sustain and be great, you, de- oh, you there's no shortcut to putting in the in the reps and technique yeah. and practice. There is none. But all those other things, that's where the open heart, the maturity, the growth is where you expand into levels you never could. Oh, that was so beautiful. <laughs> Because I think high performance has that such a like talking side to it. And I think now it has been more like, or I don't know if it just like has been on my eyes now lately, just like those topics and headlines about it, like how bad high performance actually is. Like, should we even try to get there anymore? And like, do we want to put our kids? I don't have kids, but like, would I want to put my kid in the future into like that high performance route or professional athlete route? Because I know what it kind of takes and how much sacrifice you need to be making and all of that. So I think there has been also quite a bit of pushback into like, what does it mean for the human experience in some ways? And now, like, if we could use that lens to look high performance through, I think that would be just like way better and just healthier. Well, I see it. Maybe we're creating a new term here. Uh, maybe, you know, high performance to what you're talking about traditionally is about like so much of it is based in fear and insecurity and trying to get to the top. So you feel a certain way. Whole performance is you can still achieve high, but you're whole, you're coming from love and not fear that, that, that's the only difference is like so many young kids are like groomed in this environment of like achieve to feel good about yourself or achieve so that somebody else feels happy. That's, that's, that's fear. And that's doing it for the wrong reason. So ultimate true high performance is the whole person is the skill and the love and the self-love and busting through limiting beliefs and fear. And sport is such a beautiful vehicle for busting through our fears. And sometimes that fear is the fear of what other people will think if we fail. Or the fear of what I'm going to believe about myself if I fail. So coming from love and and then mastering your craft, you've got it all. Yeah, that that could be a new term for sure. <laughs> you just launched it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that comes from the place of wholeness, not necessarily for like that. The high performance is going to like somehow fulfill you and make you whole. Yeah, that and and then that's like no secret. Everybody knows that. There, you know, I mean, yeah were either about people who thought they made it, they got to the top, and then they realized that wasn't it. We all know that intellectually. Yeah. We know it's not true. But we we don't we have we don't have a lot of models for what we're talking about. Like the the, the growth, the whole person, the maturity. There's not a ton of models. But these conversations, and it's been growing. This isn't anything new. It's been happening, but it's getting more and more of the public awareness and being more part of the conversation, which is awesome. Yeah. And Exactly like that. I'm okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Back. 
um, so that we know that, but it's not something that we feel yet. Like we still feel like we feel like we're just not enough. And the fear is like too overpowering. So we cannot actually like really believe our brain in that sense yet, because it's also saying like, once you achieve this, it's going to change. It's like, how could you be enough in this moment when you actually haven't done anything yet in order to love yourself enough? Yeah. Do something that you love. Like if you love it, you're going to do it. Like you're going to do it differently than if you're doing it to make somebody else happy. Or, you know, sometimes I ask, I ask the baseball players, like, why do you play baseball? Like, why are you a professional baseball player? And that simple question for so many, they're like, I don't know. Uh, it's like, okay, you're good at it. That's great. So if you go a little deeper, what does that mean? Well, I feel good about myself when I'm excelling on the field. So it's really about you feeling good about yourself. That is why you play the game. And when you can get, and that's okay. We all have things that we use to feel good about ourselves. And as we can mature and get to a place where I feel accepting and I love myself no matter what, no matter what I do or I fail at or I succeed at, no matter what, no matter who's happy with me, my parents hate me or they're disapproving of my choices when I can get to, and it's not easy, when I can get to a place of loving myself no matter what, then I'm free. And then I approach the game in a different way. The other thing I say is, why do you play the game? They're like, well, I love competing. Awesome. I love competing too. But you know what part of competing is? When you're stinking the house up and you haven't gotten a hit in a month and you're all discouraged discouraged and down on yourself love that too love the failure love because that's like hey are you going to compete when you're feeling down it's easy to compete when you're feeling mm -hmm. good and going well can you compete in the sense of like showing up with fearlessness with love with faith you know challenging yourself when you're really not performing that's also part of it like it's it's the whole picture mm -hmm. not just bits and pieces like we want to pick and choose yeah yeah it, and it's a huge piece when it's going down, like when it's not going well, because that's like a lot of it. And that, and that really is that the opportunity when mm -hmm. things aren't going well, it's not the issue. It's not the thing that's not going well. It's how you're treating yourself, what you believe about yourself. It's, it's what's happening inside. That is your opportunity for healing and for growth and for stepping into more power. It's not the thing out there, not the thing that's not going well. It's what's happening in you when you think it's not going well, because our our greatest failures are the things we grow from the most. And no one then watching this that can deny that. The hardest things you've gone through in your life are always the things that you've grown the most from. Now, we hate going through hard things. Our ego hates it. Why isn't this the way I want it? Why did this person do this to me? We, you know, our, our thinking mind hates it. But our soul is like, yes, this is what we need. It's helping us. Like, let's use this. And then we come out the other side and we get the wisdom and the self-love. And we're like, oh, that's what that was for. I didn't see it at the time. And that's okay if we don't see it. You know, so many people want to see the lesson. Why is this happening to me? What's the lesson in it? Mm -hmm. And we can't see it. And as we just move through it and are kind and loving and patient and compassionate with ourselves, which is really hard when we're moving through the confusion. Mm -hmm judgment when we get to the other side it's like oh that's why i went through that it was waking me up in ways i didn't really know but i needed it yeah by the soul the soul loves us our soul is running the show not us get out of the way yeah coming back to full circle with that because you started with the soul as well um i want to be mindful of your time because that i could have you just like talk forever and <laughs> listen to it but also my battery is going to be um quitting on me soon so if people want to find you, where do they go? And what's something that you wish that people would have more in their life? Uh, so if they want to find us, come to revelationbreathwork.com. We have daily classes. I teach some of them. We have teachers all over the world, different times. Make, make 30 or 60 minutes for yourself. It'll be the best thing that you do. Prioritize yourself in your own busy, full life. We get so busy and full and stressed, we become last on the list. Put yourself first, fill your cup, then you come into all these things from a different place. So come find us, revelationbreathwork.com. You can email me, hello at revelationbreathwork.com. Just say hi or let me know what's going on in your world. Um, and then the last thing was, what do I want people to, just like, it's all, here's what I say to, in the coaching clients, that like, it's, it's all okay. 
Like the things you're moving, there's nothing wrong in your life. Every experience that you're having, especially the hard ones, that, you, like I said, you can't see the meeting or the lesson and it's really challenging. Like you're meant to go through all of these things for soul growth. It's okay. And surround yourself, if you can, with environments, communities, and people that understand that and they're going to encourage you and just love you through it, not try and fix you or give you advice or or feel sorry for you. It's it's all okay. Your life is going perfectly. Have a little more compassion and patience for yourself. You're okay. Yes. What a good message also for the holidays for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Here's one message for the holidays. Yeah. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't have to do anything your parents want you to do. You don't have to say yes to the things that your heart doesn't want to do because you feel obligated. You're allowed to say no. You're allowed to be divinely selfish. That's my message for the holiday. <laughs> awesome. And this was definitely more than worth the wait. So thank you so much, seriously, for finding an hour of your time to do this with me. I'm sure a lot of people who are also watching the replay will find so many good things in this video. Great. And a joy to be in your world and your community, I really acknowledge you for what you're doing to bring more light into this world, to bring more love into the world of high performance, like changing that conversation and your your whole life experience. All the hard things you've gone through are uniquely, you know, have built you into this leader and you're doing it. And that's really inspiring and awesome. So thank you for having thank me. Thank you. So thank you so much for finding the time. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Aspiring High Performers podcast. I hope you found today's conversation as inspiring as I did. And please remember that achieving more does not have to come at the expense of your well-being or happiness anymore. So before we part ways, I want to share two important things with you. One, if today's conversation resonated with you, if it reinforced that thought of what could be possible for you, then consider becoming part of the community. So please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback means the world to me, honestly, and it helps me continue bringing you valuable content. Secondly, as we venture forward on this journey, I invite you to join our exclusive WhatsApp group, absolutely free of charge. Here you'll find a community of like-minded individuals, all driven by similar dreams and desires, and we can make reaching that next level just a little bit easier when we are surrounded by support and shared aspirations. And lastly, thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of today's episode. So until next time, stay driven and go master the day because you might just be closer to your goals than you think.